One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 104. Today's episode is with PR pro Melinda Jackson, and we're talking all about how to get PR coverage for your business. So things like features in magazines, newspapers, TV shows, working with influencers, etc. This is an episode I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I am so thrilled that the time is finally here. Before we jump into the episode, though, I have something so exciting to tell you about, and that is that I have a brand new free resource for you that I kind of can't believe I'm giving away for free. If you're like most small business owners, from time to time, you just feel tapped out and fully out of ideas for what to say and write in your content. Sometimes the hardest part of marketing and content creation isn't creating the content itself. It's knowing what to say in the first place which is why I created a free PDF with 100, yes, 100 content prompts you can use to write great content. You can use these prompts to guide your social media content, your email content, blog posts, whatever. I know this list is going to spark tons of ideas for you, and I cannot wait for you to download it. If you're already a subscriber, you've received this by email, so just check your email from me. To get your copy sent to you straight away, head to makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. The link is also in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about today's episode. My guest is Melinda Jackson, the owner of Melinda Jackson PR. Melinda has over 10 years experience working in PR, and she takes an untraditional approach to it that I love. She has worked with both small businesses and award-winning recording artists and musicians, and has a proven track record in helping her clients grow their businesses and careers. Another reason I'm super excited to bring this episode to you is because Melinda was the January guest expert in Making Good Happen, my membership program. She shared an amazing presentation on DIY PR, as well as answering questions from all of our members. It was absolute gold, and our members loved it, so I know you are going to love today's episode. In this episode, we discussed what PR is and how PR can relate to your small business, how to approach getting PR coverage as a small business, why it's okay to start small, how to know who to contact in the places you want to be featured, how to write your pitch, how to work with influencers, measuring the effectiveness of your PR outreach, and more. For this episode, I would really recommend that you have a pen and paper or re-listen to it when you can take notes because there is so much actionable do-it-now advice in here. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Here is our conversation. Melinda, welcome to Making Good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. 
I am super excited about this conversation. It is a long time coming. I would love for you to start out by introducing yourself and your business and maybe a little bit about the path to how you came to own your own PR company. Yeah. So um, I am based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was born and raised about 45 minutes uh, outside of Raleigh, closer to Fayetteville, if anybody knows North Carolina geography at all. Um, (laughs) And like born and raised in the same county, went to uh, university in like 10 minutes from my parents' house, like never left. And uh, after college, I was just like, I don't want to be here forever. So uh, as soon as I could, I moved to LA um, and started a career in entertainment PR. And um, I always kind of say that um, I'm a year younger than the girls on the show, The Hills. And so their show was coming out right when like the things were happening in my life. And they all kind of worked in PR and fashion PR and entertainment. And I was like, that's, that's kind of like, I think what I would want to do. And so I moved to LA. Mm. Um, and that was like the first time I ever really saw what PR was granted. I mean, it was a show, so it wasn't exactly what, you know, PR is, but it gave me a good idea. So I moved to LA and I was there for seven years and I, I kind of worked at any kind of firm you can imagine. Um, I couldn't get a job when I first moved there cause I graduated during the recession. So, uh, I hustled, I did a lot of part-time jobs. I coached cheerleading and I did internships. I did three internships at once to try to gain the experience in PR that could get me a job um, and open some doors. So yeah, I finally got hired by someone after about a year and a half and uh, stayed in LA for seven years. And I I turned 29. I just got really burned out. Um, As you can imagine, you know, that like literally red carpets every other night and just having no work-life balance and uh, moved back to North Carolina and worked at an advertising agency for two years where I was a PR and social media director. Um, and, and during that time, I kind of realized, you know, I had always told people that my dream was to have my own company. And I'm like, why, why do I keep working for other people when I can do so much more for my clients on my own? And thankfully, mm-hmm. PR, there's not a lot of overhead. As long as I have internet and a computer, I can do it. Um, so I started talking to a few people, got a couple of um, freelance clients and quit my job. And the rest is history. I've been uh, working for myself for the past three years. Amazing. Uh, I graduated in the recession also. And so my story is kind of similar. I graduated in 2009 from college in Boston, moved to New York, did not have a job. No one was hiring, worked in an organic cafe part time and got an internship unpaid until eventually that turned into a job. So that's really funny. That's so Very we're literally similar. twins. So yes, <laughs> like actually twins. <laughs> That's amazing. Really funny. Um, and I also end up, mo- I, I don't know if it was exactly seven years, but at some point I moved, let's see, maybe a little less than seven years, but I moved back to Seattle where I'm from originally. So same, same thing. Oh my gosh. Let's really go back to basics for the listeners who like, obviously they've probably heard the term PR, but they don't really know what it means in terms of like practically how does that apply to them so what is PR and what you know when we think of PR I think we can think of magazines TVs but I think there's probably a lot of other platforms and kind of media that that you would consider PR that maybe people don't traditionally think of as such so can you just give us a bit of an intro to the field of PR and what that would look like for our listeners so small business owners 
so many people don't actually know what PR is. Like I get a lot of people that think that I publish books. I'm like, I'm a publicist, not a publisher. It's different. Um, and then <laughs> people think it's advertising and that's totally different. Um, you know, advertising, you're paying to, to get an ad somewhere marketing. I kind of think of that more as like collateral and like paper things or, um, I don't know, just kind of boring. I think marketing's boring, <laughs> but no, PR, <laughs> it can be boring, but, uh, PR is truly, I mean, it's public relations. So it's the outward facing stuff. It's the more organic, um, things. It's the mentions in the newspaper or a magazine or an interview on a podcast or a radio show, or, um, you know, on a morning show, the, any, anytime you're in the media like that and it's organic, that's, that's PR. Um, and now, you know, with the boom of influencer marketing that I kind of also put that into the PR realm because, you know, the, the influencers are a media outlet and if they're mentioning you, I count that as PR as well. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, again, like I said, just the mentions in media, um, and, and sometimes even events. So anything that's where you're like literally engaging with the public, um, can also be counted as PR. Okay. This is a great transition because I love that you use the word organic. Uh, we were just chatting before we recorded. I have a little bit of experience in PR, like really traditionally in the scheme of like, you know, working at businesses that release press releases when they have a new product or, um, you know, they have a change in leadership, whatever it is. And you send this press release out to a feed that reaches a bunch of people and like, that's PR. Um, I know that is not your approach. So can you talk a little bit through, maybe explain better what is traditional PR and then what is the untraditional approach that you take? Yeah. So traditionally publicists will, like you said, write a press release and they'll put it on a newswire and a newswire, essentially you're paying $700 or more to have this press release go up on websites that a lot of times people won't actually see. It just kind of looks good because you'll have all the links that, oh, you're on Yahoo Finance or you were on the back end of Forbes or the back end of New York Times. But it's it's not that anyone will actually ever see those press releases unless they try really hard to see it. Um, it they're not coming up on the in the news feeds on the front page. They're not coming up on their Twitter feeds or anything like that. Um, and then a lot of times also people will just take the press release and blast it out to all the media contacts and hope that someone actually reposts it. Um, and sometimes you'll get coverage from it, but a lot of times you won't. Um, so one thing that I really try to do, and I think PR is kind of turning more towards now is just pitching the editor. So, you know, sending out an email and saying, Hey, this is my client. Here's a couple of notes on them, you know, three to four things that are interesting. Here's a, here's some links to more information. If you want to know more, let me know if you'd like to talk to them or if you need anything else from me, you know, short and sweet that really hits the basics and tells the journalists like, Hey, I know you're really busy. You don't have time to read through a three page press release that you don't care about. Here's, here's the gist of it. Do you want to talk about this or not? Um, and I always have a much better response um, from that than sending just a boring official press release and hoping that someone writes about it. Mm-hmm. And how much of you being able to get a response on behalf of your clients has to do with 
the relationships that you've already built with the people you're contacting or how much of it is cold and you feel like still? Yeah. So honestly, it's probably 50, 50 right now, especially because of COVID with so many journalists, you know, losing their jobs or uh, changing careers entirely. No one is really where they used to be. And if they are where they used to be, they're maybe not writing about the same thing because things have shifted. So, you know, I do try to lean on those contacts that I do have and have really good relationships with not only to have them write about my clients, but also give me suggestions or send me to somebody that might be a better fit within their organization. But then also, you know, I try to continually research, okay, who's, who's a new writer at whatever publication. And, um, you know, is this something they'd be interested in, especially with podcasts? You know, there's so many different podcasts out there now, every single day, there's new ones popping up. So I always try to be light on my feet and, and be ahead of the curve and try to research. So, yeah, I mean, all of that to say it's about 50, 50. Okay. Um, let's get really practical. So, you know, that most of the listeners of this podcast are small business owners, a lot of product-based small business owners. Um, and especially in the beginning, maybe they will believe that they don't have the resources to outsource or work with someone like you, um, at the very start. So Let's first talk about kind of DIY PR. Um, let's create a fictional example to make it really clear. So let's say I make my own like hand knit goods, maybe like beanies and scarves and things like that. Um, how would I go about the process of start to finish thinking through where to get placement, who to contact, what to say to them, all of those things? Yeah. So this is something I, I actually do a lot of speaking gigs around, you know, the state on, because I do realize a lot of people don't have the budget yet for PR. So I always want to help people set themselves up for success and then, you know, snowball it so that when it gets too much for them, that they could bring someone like me in. But one thing I always tell people to start with is figure out what your niche is. So what do you do? So, you know, you have this hand knit, um, product line, how is it different than the competitors? What are you doing that special? Figure that out. So that's going to be one of your main talking points because that's what the media is always going to want to know. Then start small, figure out, okay, who, who are the local media outlets that would maybe be into this? You know, is it something that could be on the local morning show? Is it something that could be in the, you know, community weekly magazine, um, or monthly magazine that's here? Is it something that, um, could be included in an upcoming gift guide locally, things like that. So start locally, start small, because people always want to, you know, try to showcase the local businesses and support those and, and lift them up. Um, and then from there, you know, are there any, um, events locally that you could collaborate in that collaborate with and cross promote with that maybe, you know, don't have a huge buy-in fee, you know, is there a, a local market that you could work with? And, you know, if you get involved in, in one of the markets, you know, ask them, what kind of PR are you guys going to be doing to promote this market? And, and like, how can I help you um, you know, cross promote this to get even more people there. Um, so I think there's really a lot of things and it's okay to start small. Yeah. I love the point to really get clear on your niche. That's something we talk about here quite a bit. So glad to hear you reinforce that, that that's really critical when it comes to PR. Um, what about, so we've, we've kind of nailed down what our secret sauces or our niche. We've talked about different, 
we thought through different platforms and maybe where we're hoping to get some coverage. What, how do we know who to contact? Yeah. So, um, one thing that I always tell people is that, um, Sometimes if you go, this is like a very random thing that I somehow discovered. If you go to your city's like visitors bureaus website. So like I live in Raleigh, so it's like visitraleigh.com. Any of those CVBs or visitors bureaus, if you go to their website, a lot of times they'll have like a media tab. So if you click the media tab, it'll list all the media in that market. And sometimes if you're lucky, most of the time they'll list the the contacts for those, the editors or the producers. So that's always a really simple hack. Um, another thing is if you just go to the website of the media outlet that you're looking for, um, sometimes if you click the writer or the producer, it'll have their contact information on there. Sometimes it'll just have a contact form on the website, which also, you know, I know people hate contact forms, but that's going to go to the assignment desk. So that is going to go to a person. So you can try that. Um, I discourage people from calling because people hate calls. Um, so always try to email them. And then, you know, if you can't find that person's email, cause I know a lot of them, um, are hidden, try to find them on social, not necessarily their personal Facebook, but if you find them on Twitter, a lot of journalists are on Twitter, um, or Instagram, you know, slide in their DMS, ask for their email address. Don't be pushy, but just say, you know, I have some information. Here's my company. I would really love to send this over to you. I think you'd be interested in it, um, and running a story on it. So there's, there's definitely some options, um, for that. You don't have to necessarily subscribe to, um, a thousand dollar a month media database. Like a lot of publicists use, you can find these contacts with a little bit of internet investigating. Okay. Love, love. Great tip. Um, what about actually what we say? So you mentioned earlier being really sort of straight to the point, direct, don't write a three-page press release. No one wants to read that. Um, but what tips do you have to, you know, write your pitch, which I know is what these emails are generally yeah. called um, in a way that's compelling and, you know, really puts your best foot forward. Yeah. So again, if we go back to our um, example of the hand-knit products, um, it, you know, if you had a company like that and you just wanted to send uh, the editor an email that says like, hey, Beth, I don't know. Um, you know, I just want to introduce myself as I'm the, I'm the owner of X, Y, and Z. Uh, we are a hand-knit, you know, product line that has blah, blah, blah. Um, I've included a like I've attached our, you know, line sheet or a one sheet about the company, whatever. If you have or if you want more information, go to our website. Here it is. I would love to talk to you more about and then like put the ask in there. So like, do you want to be in the gift guide? Do you want them to profile your business? Things like that. Anything like that helps. And then anything that's like, um, like buzzworthy. So, you know, are you aligned with a charity locally? Is this a special product line that's out for some specific reason is, you know, always try to add whatever that um, specialty, again, the niche is going to be. Um, add that in there because that definitely helps as opposed to just something that's general is like, Hey, here's my um, company. Thanks. Um, you know, try to try to figure that out because those are the stories that they're going to want to run. Awesome. What does that process normally look like? Is it like you reach out, 
you normally don't hear anything back. Should you expect to hear back, even if the answer is no? I'm guessing the answer is no to that. Um, <laughs> what What is appropriate sort of etiquette in terms of follow up? And then yeah. if they are interested, like what is what do those next steps usually look like? Yeah. And I'm so glad you asked this because people don't know. And my whole thing is always do not annoy them. So I, I like to send, you know, my pitch email and then wait two to three days and then just send a very simple follow up. And literally I just copy and paste my follow up all the time. I have it as a shortcut in my computer where I can just type a couple letters and it pops up automatically. But um, I literally just say, Hey, um, I'm sorry to follow up so soon. I know you're busy, but I just wanted to check back in on the below. Happy to send more information or talk to you about it further. Thanks so much. And that's it. Um, so yeah, wait a couple of days, follow up. Um, I say no more than one to two follow ups. Uh, anything past that you, you can assume it's a no. Sometimes they'll get right back to you and, and say, I'm sorry, it's not a good fit right now. Um, and that's fine. Um, kind of gauge what they say, because sometimes if they say no, not right now, but keep me, um, or if they say no, not right now, you can always ask, is this, is it okay if I kind of keep you in the loop on things that we have going on in case we can work together in the future? And sometimes they'll say yes. Um, and sometimes they'll say, no, it's just not a good fit and you can move on. Um, it's always hard to say like, if you're going to get a yes or a no, because it's no one ever knows. Um, but don't get discouraged if you get a no, because it really is a numbers game. You know, you keep getting all the no's, you're going to get a yes at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities in what you're describing to the process of getting wholesale accounts. So a lot of makers like their one of their big objectives is to sell wholesale, which is like to sell to stores who then resell on their behalf. Um, And yeah, it, it is also a numbers game. It is also something where a follow-up is usually necessary. It is also something that you're not going to hear back from a lot of people. And that's you can't let that discourage you. Um, It sounds like the sort of general approach to the way that you write those emails being like short and concise and clear on like what sets you apart. That's also like basically exactly how I recommend people do it in terms of reaching out to potential wholesalers. So I am, it's, it's cool to see all of those similarities come through. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, it's the exact same concept. You're selling yourself to an outlet, you know, just like you would try to be selling yourself right. to a wholesaler. Right. Right. Yeah. Good way to think about it. I've heard a, a few times about being suggested to like send a, send a sample or, um, you know, for example, I have a stationary business. So send a bunch of greeting cards and an art print and some stickers as like a, gift slash if you like it maybe you'll do something about it kind of gesture what is the like what is that all about do you do that unsolicited do you say hey I'd love to send you some stuff who is a good target slash recipient for free stuff how does that work yeah so um I'm gonna say don't send unsolicited and I know (laughs) this is a huge thing in PR and I've worked at so many firms in my day that would just have me send things unsolicited. And it costs so much money. You know, you're spending all this money on packaging, you're spending all this money on postage. And you're, you're only going to hear back from like 20% of those people or things are going to get lost in the mail. And like, 
that's a huge cost, especially for a small business and, and not knowing if they're actually going to get it or not. Um, I say, if you, if you do want to try to send samples, reach out to them first and ask what's the best address. Is this something you're interested in or even reverse that? Is this something you're interested in? If so, what's the best address to send you something? And then don't send a ton of stuff, just send a couple of things. But normally I would send to the editor because, or the producer, because they are going to be the decision makers. The journalists, you know, uh, they have a, an editor to answer to. So a lot of times they don't have a ton of say. Um, and like you could send them something, they could absolutely love it, but then their editor shoot, shoots it down, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So sending samples is hard. I say, I try to discourage it as much as possible, unless you know it's something that like is actually going to work. Okay. That is useful. Um, Let's talk about influencers a little bit. So I love that you brought that up as, you know, potentially part of the PR universe, um, because I typically think of influencers as more like in the advertising Mm -hmm. universe, since a lot of times you're paying them, but I guess a lot of times you're not. So how, what is your approach to working with influencers look like for your client? Yeah. So, um, I try to always align with micro influencers, um, because just from my own personal thoughts as a consumer, you know, these mega influencers, I know they're getting paid to say whatever they're going to say, but the micro influencers, they're probably not getting paid a lot. If at all, they maybe just got free product, but they're talking about it because they actually care about it. And like, I trust that so much more. So I always try to work with micro influencers. So people, you know, with like 20,000 followers or under, um, I kind of gauge it as like, okay, if an influencer has more followers than me, then I can work with them. But if somebody has less followers than me, then they're not an influencer. (laughs) And maybe that's mean on my part. Um, but I'm like, I have 3000 followers on my personal. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so generally like, again, just try to find people that truly align with you and that, like you can see them being your customer. You can see their audience being your customer and then reach out to them and just say like, Hey, you know, I'd really love to work with you. You know, kind of what are your terms? Do you just take product in exchange for coverage? If so, they're a lot of times the best people to work with. Um, or, you know, if you do have a little bit of a budget and and they require a small fee, if you think it's worth it and it's something that you can repurpose their content as well, as long as you give them credit, you know, that might be beneficial as well um, because you do get that cross promotion. Um, but just kind of see what works like realistically for you. And if you truly think that their audience could convert to customers for you. Mm-hmm. Are there any sort of vetting that you do of your influencers? I mean, obviously, when you're looking at them, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at their profile, how they interact, like um, engagement. Yeah. Engagement. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of go through and I think you can tell pretty quickly if you know what you're doing, if somebody has bought followers or likes, you know, if somebody has 20,000 followers and they get two likes on a picture that they probably bought their followers. Um, and I know we have algorithms and all that stuff, but, and, and things are kind of wonky right now, but I think you can pretty much tell quickly, like if someone is buying their followers, um, and, and 
then there's also a lot of like resources out there where you can, um, you know, put their username into this search engine type thing. And it tells you how many of their followers are fake and how many of their followers are real. Um, oh my so gosh, just kinda, I've never heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've pulled that on a lot of people and I've, I've been like, ah, nope, nope. I know you're lying. Sorry. I'm not going to work with you. Um, oh my gosh. but but yeah, if you just kind of like poke around a little bit, you can see. Um, but also, you know, see if they actually engage with their audience. Like, do, do they respond to comments? You know, are they using hashtags? What hashtags are they using? Are they relevant? Um, what kind of content are they posting? There's there's just a, a lot of things um, that you can see. Just, But I think kind of go with your gut at the end of the day. Like if you go to someone's profile and it feels authentic and it feels like people are engaging and they care about their audience, then that might be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And how do you actually go about finding the influencers that would be a good fit to work with? I know you said like, you know, think through that their audience seems like a good fit of an audience that would be receptive to your product or whatever you sell. But like in the process of finding them in the first place, how do you generally do that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways you could do it. Obviously there's services that you can sign up for that, you know, kind of curate uh, the top influencers in, in whatever, um, area, but I just, I, I love a good lurking session. Like I, I will go in and, you know, I'll, I'll search, you know, the, the hashtag for, you know, hashtag Raleigh blogger, hashtag Memphis blogger, whatever city you're in. Um, I think that's always a good place to start. Um, search the like geotag location, um, and, and go that way and, and, and just like find them. Um, and then, Obviously, it, it'll kind of start suggesting other influencers to you that are similar and you kind of snowball from there. Um, but that's always an easy place I tell people to start. It's just the like, you know, location blogger, so like Raleigh blogger, New York blogger, whatever. Awesome. Um, so when we get a lot of these different PR opportunities, so let's say we get written up in a gift guide um, or... Uh, we're on the morning talk show to talk about our business. I don't know, whatever example (laughs) you want to insert here. Um, I think a lot of the time you'll have maybe a link where you can see that, you know, for example, we get my store station seven gets written up as like one of the best shops in Seattle. Um, and from the Seattle Met magazine pretty much every year. And I can see traffic coming from there. Like I can see that on my website analytics, a lot of people come from the Seattle Met magazine. Um, But a lot of times there aren't these like direct links or ability to trace in the same way. So what do you suggest we do when it comes to measuring how effective whatever PR thing we did was? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think sometimes and this, this is like the hardest question for me, because obviously sometimes it results in direct sales. Sometimes it results in more followers. Sometimes it doesn't result in anything, but you, you are able to say, Hey, I was named in this. So I think you have to kind of look at it on all sides and then also see what you do with that PR hit. Like, are you, you know, if you're named in this magazine, did you post it on your social? Um, is it something that, you know, every month or so you can say, Hey, uh, just a reminder, like listen to us on this podcast, you know, a month or two after it was, um, published, you know, uh, do you have the logos on your website or on like, do you have a press section on your website? Things like that. Um, 
And because I think like when you show that you've gotten really great media, it helps other media take notice. And so then you're able to get even more, especially, you know, if you're maybe not seeing the direct correlation, it's still getting your name out there and it still counts as brand awareness, if that makes sense. So I think kind of like all of that to say is even if it's maybe not resulting in, um, direct sales or, um, or followers, if you can very clearly tell that you're getting a lot of traction across the board, then I think that's, that's a win. Is there a way to kind of do that intentionally? So you say there, there, there can be all of these different outcomes. Like maybe you grow your following a lot. Maybe it generates a lot of sales. Maybe it's just overall brand awareness that more people know your brand as like a somewhat household name, whatever it is, mm-hmm. there's all these different possible outcomes from press coverage or, or other PR opportunities. Um, do you think that through intentionally? Are you like, Oh, let's talk to this. Uh, let's pursue this kind of press coverage because I think that will help you grow your following. Or I think that will generate sales. Like, do you do that yeah. strategically or is it just kind yeah. of like, I, I think see. it's both. Yeah. I mean, I think it's both for sure. It's like, okay. Um, you know, you can go into it thinking like, okay, this is our intention. Let's, let's try to get sales from this. But you know, at the end of the day, you can only control so much. So I think if you have the intention, but you kind of leave, leave it open and you're like, we're going to try this and we hope it works. Like just have, I guess, set realistic expectations for yourself for sure. Mm-hmm. But obviously yeah. if there's an opportunity that's so like glaringly obvious where you're just like, okay, this is absolutely going to drive sales. Then, you know, you know. Yeah. The, the thing I'm thinking of specifically that is like an obvious uh, sales generator versus more of like a just overall brand thing would be gift guides, which are really big this time of year for small creative businesses. So do you have any strategies or tips on how to approach getting into get gift, like identifying first that these gift guides exist and then be getting in them? Yeah. So with gift guides, the the general rule of thumb is like a two to three month lead time. Um, Now that everything's pretty much digital, sometimes that's shorter, but for print publications, it's about three months. Um, So think early and and think ahead. Um, But, you know, again, just kind of go back to thinking like, what is, does my target audience actually read? What are they like, realistically, what are they actually going to consume? And then go and see if those outlets do a gift guide. Um, again, you know, if you want to do something small and local that that's always going to be your best bet. Um, but then, you know, go to the different publications that you find that are a really good fit for your area, um, of expertise or, you know, the product. And, um, you know, there, there's just so many out there, like, and even multiple, like an outlet will have multiple gift guides. And so, um, pick a couple of things, a product that you have that would be really good for it, or even just one and pitch that. And then also kind of add in there, like, uh, we have this, but if you don't think this is a good fit, here's the rest of our product line, or, you know, we have other things that we could offer. Um, so, you know, give them options because that's what they want at the end of the day. So all of that to say, um, you know, Starting local is always going to be the easiest. Then, you know, 
if you're going to go bigger from there, go to the, your niche publications and, um, and pitch them or bigger publications that have multiple niche, um, gift guides and pitch that and then just pitch one to two things, but then also just say, Hey, you know, we have other things that, that might be a good fit as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, maybe just one more question on the topic of PR before we have a few other topics to get through. Um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people really talk about the importance of building relationships when it comes to PR and, you know, having ongoing, like investing in those relationships, maybe playing the long game a little bit more than like the short game. How do you approach building strong relationships with with editors or producers or influencers in a way where you are, you know, delivering for them, even when you're not asking for something? So maybe you're referring other people to them or, you know, suggesting certain products for what they're looking for. How do you approach keeping those relationships strong and healthy? Yeah, this is something I always talk about. Like, just remember at the end of the day, they're a person just like you are and they have deadlines and they have a real life outside of work just like you do. So if you go at it and think like, okay, they probably have a lot going on right now. I can't be offended if they're not responding to me. And, you know, and just asking how they're doing or, um, you know, don't maybe don't ask them to go to lunch because they're busy and they don't have time for that. And you're probably too busy too. But, you know, just ask like, Hey, is there anything you're working on right now that might be a good fit for me or, um, or somebody else that I know, or, you know, like you said, referring other people to them, you know, reaching out and saying, Hey, um, I know that you maybe don't have anything for me right now, but my friend Rebecca has X, Y, and Z. Um, would you be interested in chatting with her? You know, just trying to help them out um, because they do have a lot going on and, you know, they'll remember you at the end of the day, they'll, they'll remember how kind you were and they'll come back. And um, you, you kind of want to get to the point where the journalist is coming to you asking you for things or, you know, saying, Hey, you know, do you have anything that we could include in this segment? Or do you know anyone that you could refer us to? Like, that's, that's like the ultimate dream. So I think just trying to get to that position. Yeah. Love, 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 love. Um, okay. I lied. I actually have one more PR related question, which is more on the sort of operation side of all of this. So how do you keep everything organized? You know, you have all these different contacts where you're following up. Um, do you use like a CRM? Do you use ex- like Google sheets? Um, to do yeah, I, I literally just use Google sheets. I don't, I think like all the other things are just too like project management stuff. I can't, I can't deal with any of that. Like I had a client yesterday that asked me if they could add me to their Slack channel. I was like, please don't like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> like, so I, I always for my clients, um, you know, keep a Google sheet that is shared with them. And I keep all of my pitching updates in there. And so it says like who I reached or what outlet I reached out to, what the pitch was, any notes on it, what they said when I followed up. And like, you can do that for yourself as well. Um, and then, you know, when you're building, um, these media lists, like, you know, and you're, you're going out and researching context, keep a Google sheet of that as well, or an Excel file of that, build your own media, um, lists from that and and keep them handy. Um, so then you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time and go and research. You already have it there. So literally like an Excel sheet, it doesn't have to be fancy, but just keeping track of it, I think is, is the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. 
And is that what sort of prompts you to remember to follow up with people a few days after your original contact or? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'll go back to add something to a client's update and granted, I'm not always the best at updating it, but I'll be like, Oh man, I haven't re- I haven't updated or like reached out to them in a few days. Um, so like Google sheets and just like a notebook of my to-do list every single day helps me so much. I literally write each of my clients, uh, names out every single day. And then I write bullet points under them of my to-do list for the day. And then as I go through, I just mark them off. I love this because I think it's, we have a lot of feedback as small business owners that like you have to use this tool or that tool or, um, you know, I actually do love project management tools, but I don't necessarily think you need one. It's not about like the system you use. It's about having a system that works. And Mm -hmm. if simply using Google sheets or something like that is what is going to be most effective, then that's what we should be doing. So I love that. Just find whatever works for you. Like I I think the other things are too distracting for me and I'm just like, no, I can, this is so much easier (laughs) if I can just do this, especially because I have to be so transparent with my clients and show them what I'm doing. So they, cause I don't want, I understand that like, you know, they're paying me a lot of money each month to to go out there and they want to see that I'm actually doing the work. And like, I'm not going to see, see them on every single email I send. That's ridiculous. But, you know, they need to have some kind of proof that I'm actually doing what I said I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I lied again. Last question, which I did want to ask you about is what is it like to work with an agency or a PR expert? Is it sounds like from what you just said, it's a retainer or is it like yeah. per? Yeah. So generally across the board, it's retainer based. I think PR, it's one of those things that's hard to charge by the hour because, you know, I could send one email and get somebody on the Today Show or it could take me six months and I could get somebody on a podcast. You know, you never know. It's just a nightmare sometimes. So, Mm -hmm. um, it is a retainer based and, um, you kind of agree at the beginning of each month or at the the beginning of the contract and at the beginning of each month, you know, what the PR plan looks like and what you're going to highlight. And then, um, everybody kind of works differently, but I, I like to talk at the beginning of the month with each of my clients and say like, Hey, here's what I'm going to be focusing on this month. Let me know if this is okay with you. And if anything else comes up, because if anything else comes up, like I can add that in. Um, I like to, to be, you know, really light on my feet with it and not lock people into a PR plan because things change all the time. Or, you know, we could be pitching and decide, okay, this message is not working. Let's figure out something different. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what you would do. Um, and then, um, you know, every, every publicist, every PR firm is kind of different, but, um, like I said, I have a, an update sheet that my clients have access to at all times. I also have a, um, a PR coverage link that they can, um, go to at all times and see everything that I've gotten them so far and the analytics for it in case they need it for shareholder meetings or whatever else. Um, or just so they can go back and have a reference to, oh, she actually got us like seven things this month and cause things they forgot they had done. Um, so that's always good as well. But yeah, I mean, pretty much like any publicist is, is, is going to work like that. Okay. Is there a general range that this costs generally? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it varies very widely, but. Yeah. Um, I think pretty much industry standard starts at about $2,000 a month. Obviously, you know, people are going to, it's going to be different across the board. Some people are going to be less. Some people are going to be a lot more, but I've worked at enough PR firms now to know that 
you know, generally it's going to be about $2,000 a month. And I had a client break it down to me of like, if you think about it, you know, $2,000 a month sounds like a lot, but that's literally, that could literally be them pitching you like for one hour a day. Think about all the emails that you can send in one hour, pitching you one hour a day, every day for a month. Like that breaks down to like a hundred dollars an hour, which really isn't that bad. So yeah. Um, pretty much across the board, it's $2,000. Okay. That's really helpful. So people can kind of get a sense of at what point they'd be a good fit for working with someone. Um, okay. Wow. Thank you so much for all of this. I feel like this is such a treasure trove of just practical PR, like do it yourself goodness. So thank you so much for all of the inside scoop there. Let's transition to talk a little bit about mental health. I know this is an important topic for you. It's a hugely important topic for me as well. And um, I know a lot of listeners too. So what, what do you want to share about the topic of mental health? How do you really take care of yourself as a small business owner? Um, what, yeah. what are what do you want to say on this topic? Yeah. So, um, you know, I am someone who has struggled with mental health since elementary school and it's, it's always, you know, growing up in small town, South conservative Christian Bible belt, you know, it's nothing that was ever really talked about, uh, or it's not something that was ever really talked about. And, and I was always very vocal about it. Cause I'm like, I can't help this. Like, this mm-hmm. is just something that is wrong and I'm going to do the best I can. Um, I'm very lucky, you know, I've only had to be on medicine a, a couple of times, um, in my life when I, I felt like it was too much for me to handle, but, um, you know, I recognized right before I left LA that my mental health was not in a good place and I did not have a good work-life balance. And so I think, um, you know, in situations like that, where you're just, you have your head down and you're just doing the best you can. Sometimes the universe will literally force you out of a situation. Um, and that's what happened. I literally, my body shut down. I had like the epitome of burnout. So, you know, I moved back home and the same thing happened, um, uh, two years later, right before I started my own company. And again, I think it was like the universe saying like, okay, you are meant to do something else and you will not recognize the signs. So we are going to shut your body down again. Um, and so it happened again, but you know, having my own business working for myself, it's, I feel like I've been able to focus on my mental health so much more and, and always try to be open and honest with my clients that like, Hey, you know, I am sorry. I haven't gotten back to you yet. I am having the worst anxiety day. I promise you, I'm going to get this to you by end of day tomorrow. You know, I always try Mm -hmm. to be really open and transparent with people. And I've had a lot of really great moments where my clients have shared with me, like, thank you so much for telling me that. Like, take the time that you need. I know you're good for it. Like, I get like that as well. You know, I've had clients call me having panic attacks. You know, I think the more open and honest you are about it, the more people are going to embrace you, but also feel like they can actually talk about it themselves. So, um, I, I always try to talk about it. And, and one thing that I've found, especially because of COVID and because I work alone and I work from home and I'm single and I live alone, I'm always alone, um, mm-hmm. trying to find ways to break up my day and, you know, being okay with the fact that sometimes it, I have, I can only send two ema- emails and then I have to take a nap for like 20 minutes and then I'll get up and I can only send two more emails and then I got to lay back down, you know, but sometimes that's what you got to do to get it done. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I resonate so much with all of this. And I had, I had, we are totally twins. I had a similar kind of like body shutdown burnout situation with my corporate America career, which ultimately led me to quitting um, in 2017 with like no backup plan, really. I just (laughs) was like, I am fortunate enough that like my partner, um, if I'm not bringing in my income right now, like it's okay. And I have my partner, she's here to support me and just quit. No, no job, no income replaced. I just like burned completely out. And I would say that I don't always do a better job, like taking care of my mental health as a small business owner. But the fact that I'm doing something I care so much about, like that fulfillment piece, I think does help my mental health, even if absolutely sometimes my balance isn't quite there. It's just like, I care about everything I'm doing. I enjoy doing it, um, even on the tough days. So there is something about like something related to my burnout that sounds like yours too, which was just like, you're not on the right track. You're not seeming to get the point yourself. So here you go. Yeah, And I mean, I could deep dive into all the woo woo of this, but I'm not going to do it. But like, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said when you're not on the track that you're meant to be on. And I think, you know, you know, you'll hit the speed bumps that really force you to do what you're supposed to do. And um, one thing I've kind of been telling myself lately Um, as I've gotten busier and this season is like, I don't have to sit there just because I work from home and just because I work for myself and I own my own business doesn't mean I have to sit there on my laptop at nine o'clock at night. That email can wait. Like it's, if it's not pressing that can wait until nine o'clock in the morning. I don't need to be sitting on my laptop in my bed, answering emails, stressed out because other people aren't. So I don't need to be either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love, love, love. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much, so much goodness in this interview already. Um, Let's talk about some of the questions that I get to ask all of my amazing guests. The first one is, how do you approach doing good through your small business? Um, I really love that, like the whole thing that I get to do is help other people grow their businesses. And during COVID, somehow my business morphed from me trying to get back into entertainment and music PR to helping small female business owners and entrepreneurs. And so that's been so rewarding and just being able to help them tell their stories and watch them grow their businesses and grow their confidence has been so rewarding for me. So I love that like Literally, that's what my job is to to do good for other people all the time. Yeah, I know. Supporting and helping small businesses grow is such an important way of doing good. So I totally concur with that. Um, what is one book that you would recommend? Oh, gosh. Um, so anything by Brene Brown. Um, I'm definitely mm-hmm. on the Brene Brown mm-hmm. bandwagon. Um, Daring Greatly is always a, a great one to start with. Um, but then also, if you want to get more into the um, the more psychology approach of things, um, this is going to be a weird suggestion, but just trust me on it. Um, th- uh, this book called Attached, just on attachment styles, has really helped me a lot, especially as someone who, um, you know, my whole job is to communicate with other people. And I realize that I get a very anxious attachment style. So if somebody's not responding to me, I kind of freak out a little bit. And I can't do that because <laughs> literally my entire job is waiting on other people to get back to yeah. me. So that has really helped me 
like kind of ground myself into when I, again, going back to mental health, like when I get really anxious, like, oh God, oh God, oh God, they're not responding to me and my client's going to hate me and I'm not going to get this and blah, 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 I start spiraling. I can be like, nope, this is my anxious attachment style. No one hates mm-hmm. me. It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, running a small business, I've said this before on this podcast, but I think running a small business is like the grandest experience and personal growth that you can ever possibly go through. And I think some of the things I've learned a lot, all of the things I've learned really as a small business owner have helped me like in all areas of my life. So I love that your answer was not a business book, but you know, one that, well, and I feel like everything. Yeah. I feel like every business book is the same. So like, the more you can figure out about yourself, the better it's going to be for you and your business. And so like just the, the more that like the more mentally strong you can be and physically strong you can be, it's going to, it's going to be, you know, you're going to reap the benefits everywhere. Yeah, totally agree. What is one small business that you admire? Um, so this was really hard for me because I want to <laughs> like say my clients, but then I feel like that's, that's not fair. <laughs> um, but, uh, the first thing that came to mind is actually a store here in North Carolina. It's in Raleigh and Wilmington. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, very similar to station seven is, um, edge of urge and it's female owned mm. and they, um, just, always they curate the coolest stuff from local makers and and female owned businesses and um makers that you know have you know a, a greater impact on the community and things like that and it's just i love i love to take my friends there i had a friend that was in town last week from canada and she needed to grab some presents for people so i took her there and and we were able to find just like the coolest stuff um mm-hmm. yeah edge of urge they're really great love that's a new one for me that's fun i'm gonna go explore Um, okay. So where can listeners find and connect with you, learn more about you and your work online? Um, it's very easy. It's literally my name everywhere. So it's Melinda Jackson, Um, and then on social media, it's just Melinda Jackson PR. Um, and then my personal social, if you want to go there, it's, it's not professional. I cuss a lot and I'm weird and it's fun. And, um, that is Melinda Gale. So G A L E. Awesome. Well, Melinda, thank you so much for everything that you shared today on this conversation. I am really excited to go back and edit and take notes and um, start sending some pitches. So I I know the listeners are going to learn a lot as well and just really grateful for you. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Like I'm always happy to give advice. Awesome. That is so generous. Take her up on it. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Melinda. Oh, thank you. Melinda, I learned so much from this conversation and I'm so grateful to you for everything you have shared. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can get all the details from this episode at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 104. That's 104. I know Melinda and I would both love to hear from you on Instagram You can find Melinda at Melinda Jackson PR and I'm at Lauren Tilden. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so love for you to leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player or share it with a friend who would benefit from listening. Oh, and if you want your list of 100 content prompts to help you create some awesome marketing content, just head to makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. 
That's 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S, and you'll get it straight away. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.